with me, if you would, 448. Franz's voice isn't doing very well, so he asked me to lead the singing for him this morning. Let's get started. 448. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. For me it was in the garden, he prayed not my will but thine. He had no tears for his own griefs, but sweat drops of blood for mine. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. Marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. He took my sins and my sorrows, he made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous is my Savior's love for me. On that last when with the ransomed in glory, His face I at last shall see. Twill be my joy through the ages to sing of His love for me. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous is my Savior's love for me. And turn to 155. 155 at Calvary. Amen. 155 years I span in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord was crucified. Wooing not it was for me, he died on Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free. To me there my burdens of and liberty had Calvary. By God's word at last my sin I learned. Then I trembled at the law I spurned. Till my guilty soul imploring turned to Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my bed and soul and liberty had covering. Now I've given to Jesus everything. Now I gladly own him as my king. Now my rapture to King of Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. 
bear my burden so for liberty at Calvary on that last oh the love that drew salvation's plan oh the grace that brought it down to man oh the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary there was great and grace was free God and there was multiplied to me there my burden soul and liberty at Calvary let's pray dear Heavenly Father we thank you once again for the privilege of just being here now Lord we ask that you would take this time that we have dedicated to your worship we pray that each one of us would be willing to move ourselves and our plans, our desires out of the way and let your will be done during this service. We pray that your grace would overcome our own human nature and, Lord, that you would be blessed and honored and glorified and worshiped in all that we say and do. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take our hymn books and turn to page number 422. And let's remember to whom we're singing this morning. We're not singing to each other, praise the Lord. We're singing to the Lord himself. He is listening. Make a joyful noise. Amen. 422. Oh, how sweet the glorious message, simple faith may claim. Yesterday, today, forever, Jesus is the same. Still he loves to save the sinful, heal the sick and lame. Cheer the mourner, calm the tempest, glory to his name. Yesterday, today, forever, Jesus is the same. All may change, but Jesus never. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. All may change, but Jesus never. Glory to his name. He who pardoned erring Peter never needs thou fear. He who came to faithless Thomas, all thy doubts will clear. Love disciple on his bosom bread. Rids thee still with love as tender, lean upon his breast. Yesterday, today, forever, Jesus is the same. But Jesus never, glory to his name, glory to his name, glory to his name. All may change, but Jesus never, glory to his name. Let's sing that last. As of old he walked to Emmaus with them to abide. So through all life's way he walked ever near our side. Soon again. <coughs> 
but twill still be this same Jesus as he went away. Yesterday, today, forever, Jesus is the same. All may change, but Jesus never. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. Glory to his name. All may change, but Jesus never. Glory to his name. And back in the back of the hymn book, 812, there is victory in Jesus. Amen. 812, let's sing it out this morning. <clears throat> I heard an old, old story How a Savior came from glory How He gave His life on Calvary To save our wretch like me I heard about His groaning Of His precious blood's atoning and I repented of my sins and won the victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him and all my love is to him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. I heard about his healing, of his cleansing power revealing, how he made the lame to walk again and caused the blind to see. And then I cried, dear Jesus, and spirit, and somehow Jesus came and brought to me the victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He saw me and he bought me with his redeeming love. He loved me ere I knew him and all my love is Plunge me to victory beneath the cleansing blood. Now, as we sing this last verse, we want all the children 12 and under to be dismissed to the children's church. The rest of us, let's sing that last verse. I heard about a mansion he has built for me in glory. Heard about the streets of gold. Beyond the crystal sea About the angels singing And the old redemption story And some sweet day I'll sing up there The song of victory Oh, victory in Jesus My Savior forever he sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him. Oh, my love is to him. I plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing blood. And all God's people said, 
Amen. You may be seated. And just before the message this morning, Sarah and my wife are going to sing a duet. They sang this at the ladies' tea yesterday. And from everything I heard, there was a wonderful time had by all. Um, I just was in hot water yesterday. That's all. They have to have hot water to have tea. So that was my part. But uh, just listen very closely, and then we'll get into the message this morning. Sweet it is to follow the Savior, sweet to have him close by my side, careful in the pathway he chooses, he's such a Shepherd so gentle and kind in pleasant places by still waters. Oh, what pleasure and blessing I find! Now my life indeed is worth living. Christ has made the difference for me. Take your Bibles and turn to the book of First Timothy. <clears throat> and uh, as I was preparing for this message, it's Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers that are here today. And uh, I think I ask this question every year. It's, it's one we ought to ask ourselves more than just on Mother's Day, and that is, where would you be without your mother? Amen? And, and the answer is, you wouldn't. 
uh, mom is kind of important, amen, and it's, it's really interesting that Mother's Day as a holiday, as a special day, actually started right here in the United States, and, and the person who was solely responsible for lobbying the legislators and working tire, tirelessly, we'll get that out sooner or later, uh, to make this a day of national observance, never was herself a mother. Uh, she spent her whole life trying to honor her own mother, and, and in so much so that she never married, never had children, never never was a mother herself. I, I'll tell you that as someone that is very devoted uh, to the idea of motherhood, but um, what we're going to do this morning is a little different. I was looking over the sermons I have preached over uh, the years on different uh, mothers in the Bible, and um, I've never preached on this passage on Mother's Day. In fact, I don't know that I've ever preached a full sermon just on these verses. And uh, as we begin reading them, some of you ladies are going to begin to say, yeah, now I know why he never preached on this on Mother's Day. Uh, and uh, just be patient. When we get to the end, you'll find out that uh, there, there's a lot of good things in this passage. And uh, we've <clears throat> got to take it in its total context of of what is being spoken of. And, and by the way, guys, get ready because we're going to preach the other half of this passage on Father's Day, by God's grace, all right? That's coming up in, in about a month. And uh, this is doctrine. Now, doctrine is what we believe enough to live, amen? Uh, now, a lot of people wave their little booklets and their little papers and... and uh, uh, their doctrinal statements and say, this is what we believe. But I, I want to challenge you this morning. If you don't believe it enough to live it, it's not doctrine. What it really is, is a land to make believe. Um, most of, if you work in an office or in, for a company, most of the time they have this thing called a personnel manual. Do, do any of you know what I'm talking about? Uh, that wonderful little booklet they give you. And the, when they give you that personnel manual when you go to work and you read that and it, it gives you rules and instructions on how you're supposed to dress and behave yourself and certain things that are expected of you. Uh, has anyone ever spiritualized one of those? Well, I know that this manual says that I'm supposed to show up at 8 o'clock every morning. But the real meaning of those words is consistency. And as long as I show up at 9.30 every morning, I will fulfill my personnel manual. How many of you think you could get away with that? Boy, we were in a place of smart people this morning. Amen. You know you could never get away with that. If it says 8 o'clock, you better be there at 8 o'clock. In fact, if you really want to move forward, you'd better be there at about 10 till, at about 7.50, so that you can put your stuff away and you can be sitting at your desk or, or your machine or whatever you're supposed to be doing, so that when that clock ticks 8 o'clock, you can actually be starting doing something productive, rather than somebody described the work way this way, show up, 
It takes the first hour just to get things in order and rearrange from yesterday's mess so that you can start to work. Well, by that time, it's only half an hour till coffee break, so I'll do something very light and very easy so that I don't get interrupted by coffee break. Well, then comes the coffee break, and uh, that's supposed to be 10 minutes, but it turns into 30 because we get into a good discussion at the coffee machine, and then we go back, and by the way, it's only an hour to lunch. I can't get much done in only an hour, so I'll just have to wait until after I get back from lunch. Now, there are people that work that way, aren't there? But it's not called work. I, I knew a man that uh, was in a big factory, and uh, they'd love to tell the story about him because he always had some tool or something in his pocket, and any time you met him, oh, so-and-so needed this, I'm on my way to take it to him. And they don't know if he ever did do any work. Uh, but he got to talk to everybody, and he got to move around. Now, you know, that's the way a lot of times we as Christians are when it comes to the Bible. Amen? We talk all about it. We're always intending to do something someday. And what we're going to look at here is some things that we ought to do today. Amen? Some things that we ought to learn. And, and what Paul is doing here is he is writing to Timothy, a young preacher who he has trained in the ministry, and he's at, Paul has actually left young Timothy behind. Paul had to move forward, and things weren't quite right in this church yet. They weren't fully established. He said, I believe the Lord wants me to leave young Timothy there, and he will stay as I go to the next place to start the next church, and he's going to put things in order. Well, young Timothy, being young, didn't know everything Timothy needed to know. Word gets back to Paul that Timothy's having some struggles. And Paul, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, writes this letter to give us order and relationship in the church. And uh, I, I will make the statement to you, if you've ever been through our discipleship or any teaching here, we, we teach a lot on the church. The church is important. The church is not your salvation. The church does not give you salvation. The church cannot take away your salvation. In fact, you can't be part of the church until after you already are saved, praise God. Uh, the church is the context for your relationship with God. I mean, it is supposed to be the backdrop of your living for God. Everything you're supposed to do after you're saved is by, through, and for the local church. Read, read your Bible. I challenge you. I give people this challenge. They say, well, I just never heard anything like this before. Well, uh, yeah, that's true because you probably weren't in a Bible-believing church before you came to this one. Amen? Uh, you're not going to hear a lot about the true preaching of the local church because it destroys an awful lot of theology and a lot of different other uh, church, quote-unquote churches that are out there they would be contradicting themselves completely if they taught what the Bible says about the church. Because, guess what? You can look in your Bible. There's, no, there's only one district superintendent in the Bible. And he's the one that rose again from the dead. Amen? Uh, Jesus is the only authority 
controlling authority in the Bible. You say, well, what about the apostles? Yes. And what did they give us? This right here. You say, there are no apostles today? That's exactly correct. Don't need them. We just need to follow what was written down. Amen. And so as we look through here, Paul, I mean, t Paul is writing to Timothy and he's giving him instruction and he's going to be talking about the place of mother in the church. And so I figured, well, Mother's Day, that ought to be a pretty good subject. And uh, just follow through with this and, and Lord willing, we'll, we'll get some things here. We're going to start. Actually, let's start in verse 8 of uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, just trying to set a little context here. It says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting, in like manner also that women. Now, here we're going to set the context here. It says, I will for that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting, in like manner also the women. So, this is a basic set pattern in the church. This is something that God wants. He wants us to pray, both men and women. Amen. It says lifting up holy hands, meaning that our lives are clean, without wrath and doubting. We, we shouldn't have uh, a lot of arguments and a lot of fussing going on. I praise God we've had so little of that in Open Door Bible Baptist Church over the years. It gets scary sometimes, but I just praise the Lord that, that our church isn't like a lot of churches where all they do is they come together and they fuss and argue with each other. I don't know how you could even call that a church because we're supposed to be members one of another. Amen. And prayer is important. That's why every Sunday night we have a prayer meeting. I've had people, especially new Christians, many over the years, Pastor, I don't know how to pray. Well, it's real easy. You start coming to prayer meeting and it won't be long before you learn how to pray. Amen? Uh, it, it won't hurt you to pray. It's only going to help you. It's a command. And then he goes on, in like manner also, in this context of prayer, holy hands without wrath and doubting, that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broidered hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but that which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Now, this is a verse that makes a lot of ladies mad. We're not afraid of the Bible, but we're not here to make you mad. Just listen and, and uh, we'll get the context here. But uh, it says, Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection, but I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in a transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. Now, um, I have been accused on occasion of being uh, male chauvinist and, and not wanting uh, ladies to have their proper place and their proper say because... I just read to you what the Bible says. Now, we're not here to insult anyone. And I'll tell you, no one believes in women's rights more than I do. But I will tell you something. I believe the first and foremost right of a woman is to be a woman 
not to have to be a man. Can we get an amen on that one? Ladies, do you, do you like going out and having to compete with men in the world and fight and claw your way just as if you were a man? I hope you don't enjoy that. We understand that we live in a wicked world and things are not the way that they ought to be. And there are many times where a woman is forced out into the world and, and it is demanded that she have to behave and, and, and compete with the men. But I'll tell you, if that can be avoided, it's a wonderful thing. And Paul right here is saying, listen, let's, let's put things in order here. He says, in the church, let's not have to parade around. You know how it works in the office. You usually have one or two ladies that parade around in front of everybody else. And do we have to explain that this morning? I mean, we know what's going on now, don't we? Uh, it's who's going to get the most attention from the boss and from the male uh, people in the office. That goes on every day, doesn't it? The Bible says that's not godly. Let's not do those things. Let's not, especially in the church, this ought to be a safe haven, Amen. You may have to compete out in the world and you may have to work hard and you may have to do all of these things. But when you come to church, you shouldn't have to parade around. Amen? None of us in the church, men or women, should have to do things that draw attention to ourselves. Some of you used to go to churches where every Sunday was a fashion show. Who was going to have the new hat? Who, who had more money to buy the fanciest whatever. Right here he says, let's not make that a concern in the church of God. Now, some have taken this to the other extreme, to where if you walk into the back door of a church, I have on a gold wedding band. I put this on almost 18 years ago. My wife has a gold ring that we exchanged on our wedding day. And there are certain churches where you would walk in and they would see that gold ring on your finger and they'd say, you can't come in this church wearing that gold ring. It says not gold right there in Second Tim, well, First Timothy chapter 2. I mean, they just go nuts. Foam at the mouth and spit on the floor. That's not what it's talking about, my friend. But uh, what do they call that? bling or something like that you can tell how out of tune i am with the world i don't even know what the you, uh, isn't that where you know you wear all these necklaces and chains and all okay i'm getting some heads that's what it's talking about okay don't do that why do those people wear all of that stuff because they want to go down to the poor neighborhood and show how rich they are because they know how to curse on a radio station or into a microphone. They call it singing. Uh, I mean, how ridiculous can we get today? 
I think we're trying to prove how ridiculous mankind can get by the stupid things that we just do over and over and over again. Uh, listen, you don't need the latest fashions from Paris to show up at Open Door Bible Baptist Church. Amen? Isn't that wonderful? Uh, you don't even need the latest fashions from Marshalls to show up at Open Door Bible or Walmart if you live outside New York City. Uh, you don't need those things. What you need is, it says shamefacedness. Now, ladies, that means able to blush. Have you, remember the last time you blushed? That's where your face turns all red and you're embarrassed and you just want to hide when everybody's looking at you. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, one of the greatest problems we have today is we have people who are un incapable of being ashamed of things that they ought to be ashamed of. Amen? There's a tenderness and an innocent, innocency that goes along with this thing called shamefacedness. We, we need to be careful. And see, it all comes from the inside. There, there's absolutely nothing uh, uh, that, uh, about blushing or, or that that is external. It's all because you feel embarrassed and, and you feel uh, uncomfortable. It says, listen, we need to have a good dose of that. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, there's a lot of things that we ought to be ashamed of instead of running around trying to say why it's okay to do these things. Amen? And, and it says, and sobriety. Now, the word sobriety today has been demeaned to just mean without excess of alcohol or drugs or controlling substances in your body that you're sober, not drunk. But the word sobriety is much more than that. It means living a life that is not controlled by all of these other things. To be able to live a sober life does not mean running around like this all day long. I'm sober. I'm practiced sober. Now, you might just scare everybody away. But that's not what sobriety means. It means self-control. Temperance is another Bible word. It means without excess. I mean, we live in a world of excess, do we not? Somebody said, well, preacher, what do you believe about makeup? Um, I think that you need to be careful with, with makeup, ladies. Uh, there's an old saying that says if the if the barn needs paint and paint it, if the walls need plaster and plaster them. But uh, that, that ought not apply to makeup, amen? Uh, it, here's, here's the simple th rule of anything. If when you walk into a room, everybody turns around and sees you, uh, that's probably a little much, amen? I remember I worked in a Christian school and they had a, uh, a young lady there who uh, just 
wasn't taught about any of these things, or maybe she didn't want to learn. She was just a teenager, but her nickname was Eyes. And uh, because when she walked into the room, it didn't matter how many people, if there was a hundred voice choir and she sang in the choir, you saw Eyes. Uh, that's what this verse is talking about. A little makeup is, there's nothing wrong with it. Unless we go back to that first thing there, adorn themselves in modest apparel, unless you're trying to get all the men's attention by putting on that makeup. Uh, the, the thing, my wife, we had a discussion this long before we were married, and I said, I, I really prefer that you don't wear makeup because most of the ladies, they put on makeup when they go outside in front of uh, other uh, other wives' husbands, I said, if you want to wear it at home around me, that's fine, but don't do something special to go out that you wouldn't do for me at home. Amen? And uh, when I found out how expensive that stupid stuff was, I said, you know, we just don't need it. Amen? But, uh, and, and there's freedom in this decision. I'm not preaching against makeup. Understand. But it ought not be one of these things that you walk into a room and all of a sudden you see the reflection in your lipstick of all the lights on the ceiling and everything. I mean, turns red or purple or whatever color. Be careful. Amen? Don't go to excess. Verse 10 sums it all up. But which becometh women professing godliness. If you were to just take in your mind and picture a godly woman... I hope it wouldn't come out like Tammy Faye Baker, all right, or Tammy Faye, uh, Tammy Bay Faker, whatever her name was, uh, or Joyce Meyer, or some of these other things that are on television running around. They do this because they want attention drawn to themselves. And if you're going to have a big national television ministry, guess what? You've got to draw attention to yourself. That's all part of it. Otherwise, people don't send in money and you can't afford to make up to go on to the camera to make them want to look at you, okay? Uh, it's, it's just a silly syndrome. Professing godliness. What would you picture a godly woman to look like? Ladies, that's, that's the context here. And we're getting to the part about mothers in just a minute, all right? But if you don't get this, when you get to the part about mothers, it's just not going to be right. And our church ought to be a safe haven where ladies can come and be ladies, amen? I've, I've told the ladies of our church, and we've tried to do this, listen, you have trouble with your car, and you're, you, you don't have somebody to help you. You call on us. We'll send somebody over. We'll, we'll try to help you all we can. Uh, now, if it's some huge engine problem, you don't want me working on the sidewalk on your car because I won't fix it right. And, uh, uh, but we, we will do everything we can to help you be a lady. Amen. And to keep you from having to compete with all of those things that are out there. Now, it says, with good works. There's a purpose for your life, ladies. It is good works. It's doing right. It's helping others. And you will have more freedom to do good works 
if you're not all bound up trying to compete with all the men around you. There's no need to compete here at Open Door Bible Baptist Church. You can relax, all right? We're, we're not putting you on trial. We're here to work together to serve God. Amen? Now, this next two verses, people, they just get upset about this. And, and there's a lot of debate on, uh, on these verses. But we'll just let the Bible speak for itself and there won't be any debate. It says, let the woman learn in silence with all subjection... But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Now, ladies, that does not mean there's not a place of service in the church. What it does mean is, if you're a lady, the pulpit is not that place of service. Amen? Uh, my children told me my wife preached a good message yesterday, but it was just to the ladies. There is a place for women teaching in the church. In fact, if we'll go to... Other places, it said, listen, ladies, we need you to teach other ladies because they just might not have had the opportunity to learn the things they need to learn at home. Because not all of us grow up in a Christian home where we can learn all of these things from the time we're little children. There is some teaching that needs to be done. And I'll be very plain with you today. Uh, I don't. I have never got up here and preached a sermon from this pulpit on how women ought to dress, because I don't believe that's my job as a man to explain women's clothes to them. They can do a whole lot better job of that by themselves with none of us present. Amen, men. We do not want to do. I know churches that do that, but we're not going to do that here. Because that's where the ladies teach the ladies. Amen? That's where we can learn. And we need to learn those things. And guys, when we have our men's fellowship meeting, we talk about some of this stuff and, and explain to uh, the, the, these things so that we can strive together not to distract one another, but to aid and help and work together so that when we come together as a church, we can actually worship God instead of trying to figure out whether I got enough, uh, whether I'm dressed up enough or, or I'm not dressed up enough or whether I got too much of this. or I mean, there's, there's times and people have gone to church and worried about all those things and never got one thing out of the message. That's what we're striving for today, is not to be distracted. Now, it says, let the women learn in silence with all subjection. And... What that simply means is, look at verse 12, she's not to teach nor to usurp authority over the man. Now, I'll be honest with you, I don't let men interrupt me in the middle of my message. But if you've got a question, we'll sit down at the end and we'll talk until we solve the problem, amen? Uh, that's what this is talking about. There was, there was problems in the church where everybody, here's Timothy, and, and Timothy is a young man, and remember, Timothy did not have the Bible like you and I have to stand here and preach, and so Timothy is, is trying to speak, and he's trying to give instruction, and, and, and somebody is saying, well, well, Timothy, I remember that point, but I, I think uh, Paul really meant this. And Timothy's having a hard time getting the point across. 
And ladies, you all have a lot better memories than we do as men. It just works that way. And poor Timothy was getting swallowed up. And Paul said, now listen, Timothy. You've got to understand there's some order here. Now, it's a lot easier for me than it was for Timothy because we can just open it up and read it and see what it says. Amen? But that's basically what Timothy was talking about. And there's not to be women preachers. That's what this passage is saying. Again, ladies, we'll go back and we'll say, listen, we don't want you to have to compete with men in the world. We want you to relax and be able to be a lady that's here. Now, I could just mention this word, and most of you will snicker if I mention this person's name, but uh, our junior senator from New York State and femininity uh, don't belong in the same sentence now, do they? Isn't that true? How many of you have ever heard that tape of her screaming at President Bush? You ever heard that tape? You ought to listen to it sometime. Uh, it'll explain exactly what Paul's trying to get at here. We don't want that in the church. What we want is the ability to work together to serve God. Amen? Then we get to the last part. It says, For Adam was first formed, then Eve. God said, I set things in order. Adam, then Eve. Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. The, the serpent deceived the woman. The serpent didn't deceive Adam. Adam did what he did on purpose. And God judged Adam for it. But if you'll remember, he also judged the woman. He said, unto him shall be thy desire. In Genesis chapter 3, he said, Adam... You were standing right there and you watched that whole thing happen and you didn't do a blessed thing to protect your wife. He said, for all of history of mankind, he said, it is the job of the man to protect his wife from the things that are out there. I took a sales course one time. I found out it wasn't for me because I don't like taking advantage of people. But they said, your best customer is a single young woman below the age of 25 who is preparing to get married someday because you can sell her more stuff and she has more disposable income than any other group in our society today. And so we were selling pots and pans and cookware and said, this is what you need to do. He said, you need to find these Women who are young, they're not married, they're, they're getting ready for life, and you sell them this cookware with a lifetime guarantee. And when I saw the price of that stuff, I said, I can't honestly sell somebody a $500 pot. That's absurd. Spaghetti tastes just as good in a $20 pot that you buy somewhere else. I'm talking big, not little here. But uh, if you're little, you can do, make it in a $5 pot, a little family. It, it's ridiculous. Men, if you are a husband, 
It is your God-given responsibility to protect your wife. That's what he's bringing about here. And by the way, ladies, your husband cannot protect you if you're the one pulling the strings and making everything happen. How many remember Brother Thompson when he was here for our missions conference? You ever, I, I think I've given his famous quote, but I remember being in church one day and, and he, sat, he came up to the pulpit and he said, I'm the man of my house. Boom! And hit that pulpit and the whole auditorium, 2,000 seat echoed. And then he got real close to the microphone. He says, because my wife lets me be. That's what Paul's talking about here, ladies. Your husband cannot be the man God wants him to be unless you allow him to be. And sometimes that means grabbing hold and biting your tongue. Because God might be wanting to teach him a few things, all right? And guys, let's be honest, we're not the smartest thing that ever came down the trail. I praise God, he's given me a good wife. And if I listen, makes a big difference. But if it's nagging, men don't listen. My grandfather, he used to, I, one of the funniest things I've ever seen happen is my grandmother would be on to him about something. And uh, he'd be walking out of the house and she'd be following him down to the garden and you'd see one hand go up and turn off one hearing aid. <laughs> and pretty soon the other hand went off and turned off the other hearing aid. And Grandma would be giving him a tongue lashing, but Granddad didn't hear a thing. Now, guys... Sometimes we deserve that, but if we had the right attitude, we wouldn't get it. Amen? And ladies, this is what's being talked about. Your husband, those men have a responsibility to protect you. Now, we get to the part about mothers, and we'll be done in just a few minutes here. It says, notwithstanding. Okay? You look at some religions, and you look at all these things that go on here, and you... You, and there are people that accuse us, Bible-believing Christians, of being like so many other religions where the woman is just a doormat, where she's just something that is there. That's not what this Bible is talking about. It says, notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness and sobriety. Now, there are some people that have come up with all kinds of whacked-out ideas on this verse. They say, well, a woman shall be saved from being worthless if she has a child. Well, well, now wait a minute. What happened to women who can't have children? That's ridiculous. Um, it certainly does not mean salvation, saved from your sin and saved from hell, uh, because that would leave out all the rest of us here. God's way of salvation is through the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross and faith in Him alone. So, so what is it talking? How is a woman to be saved... With childbearing, well, if you go over to, to chapter 5 and verse 14, Paul is giving some commands here about widows. In verse 14, he says, I will, therefore, that the younger women marry, bear children. What's that next phrase in there? Read those three words with me. Guide the house. 
Do you know what the word guide means? Have you ever been on a tour and somebody guided you through the tour and you made a mistake of going somewhere you weren't supposed to do? What happened? You got yelled at, didn't you? Please don't do that. You're not allowed to go there. You have to follow the guide. It means to be in charge. Ladies, it says, listen, you're not in charge in what goes on in the church. The leadership is supposed to be the man's responsibility to protect you from having to compete in the world with other men. But when you get home, guess who's supposed to be in charge? Ladies, you're supposed to guide the house. You know why? Because the man's supposed to be out raising the money to pay the bills. Amen? Now, that doesn't mean that a man doesn't have responsibility in the home, but the home will be what mother makes it to be. You can't get away from that. And it's talking about authority and place. The, the woman's castle, so to say, she can either be the princess of the palace, the queen of the home, or, or she can be the galley slave. Men, you make a lot of determination on that. I want my wife to be the princess, the queen of the castle. Amen? I, I want her to have the freedom. Because I'll tell you got something, guys. You cannot run a household like a lady can. One time I was driving down the road and I heard a song called uh, Mr. Mom. And it was, uh, it was one of them stupid songs. And I, I, when I just heard the words, I, I knew it didn't have anything bad in it. So I figured I'd just listen to it. And he's talking about bubble gum in the baby's hair and going, trying. He was out of work. And so she found a job and he stayed home to take care of the kids. He said, I don't know how she gets all this done. He says, I'm going to look through the one ads one more time because I'm tired of being Mr. Mom is how the song ended. And, uh, guys, we just weren't cut out for that kind of stuff. Just like ladies, surviving in the corporate world is a really tough thing to do, isn't it? And so it says, she shall be saved in childbearing. There is a place where your leadership and your abilities are desperately needed. It's in the home. You can go through all the studies. You can talk to anybody you want to talk to. But there is absolutely no thinking person who will deny the fact that children raised in a home where mom is there to be with them are better off than children who are raised in a home where mom has to work and mom has to do all these things. You can't get past it. You just can't. There is a desperate need for mom. Uh, statistics sometimes are funny things. When I was growing up in my teenage years was the time of ERA, and they were just really trying to hit this thing home that, uh, lady, if you're not out in the business world making your way and competing and showing that you can do it better than the men can, you're not a real woman. And we have a generation and a half right now that have been raised in homes where mom just wasn't there. And it's really done our country a whole lot of good, hasn't it? 
we have a lot of kids that just have no understanding and when they get old enough to have children of their own their children are nothing but a bother to them it's just something else on my list of things to do listen your children mothers are the only hope of changing tomorrow And I have pled with people over the years. Uh, we homeschool our children not because it's the easy way out. I've had people say, well, you need to start a Christian school. Well, I had God's call to come to New York City and start this church, but I want to see it in writing before I start a Christian school. Uh, uh, what I'd like to see happen is have our mothers educate their children at home say but i don't have the education your children don't need an education they need mama amen they need to be around you do you know how to read you know how to write there's only one real way to add up two plus two and get it to equal four amen uh there are things that will help you stay in the home and guide the home that's what he's talking about here it's talking about just be a mom. Your kids will be better off for it. And guess what? Your husband will be better off for it. And your marriage will be better off for it. And everything you do. But there are some requirements here. It's as if they continue in faith. Now, faith is simply what we believe the Word of God says enough to live. Many times... We live in a, a place where many people come from many different languages and they say, Pastor, that old King James Bible is so hard to read. Don't you have an easier Bible to read? No, I don't. I can't recommend any other Bible for you to read because it's not a real Bible. And by the way, we're not into dumbing down God's Word so we can understand it. We're asking God to raise the level of our understanding so we can understand His Word Half of God's Word is still not what He's trying to give us. Amen? Uh, we have to, if, if you speak another language, chances are there's a Bible translated in your language that you can read. Uh, unfortunately, there are some languages that, that uh, there's not a good Bible in. And if you're going to learn English, you might as well just learn how to read. And I promise you, if you start your experience in the English language with this Bible right here, everything else is going to be a piece of cake to you. Uh, that's what I do with my children as soon as they're old enough to start reading words we put them in the Bible the greatest milestone in that little life is when the family devotions they can read their verses and proverbs at the dinner table I mean that's uh, 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 an accomplishment that's a major milestone and they get cheered and and all of that by their siblings uh, but if you don't know what the word says you can't continue in faith charity that's love with action attached to it. We love our children. Amen. Do we love them enough to stop them from doing things that will destroy them? That's charity. Ma'am, if you can, if, if lady, mother here today, if you can teach the meaning of just a couple of words. My dad taught me the meaning of two words and I got a whole education. No. And now, if you get the definition of those two words, no and now, you'll have a whole education, amen? 
Uh, it'll solve 90% of the problems that you face if you just know the meaning of the word no and the meaning of the word now. And, and my dad, uh, he had uh, sundry ways of teaching the meaning of those two words, and it, it took a while for them to sink into this thick skull that is here. But if you know the meaning of those two words, you, you'll have a whole education. Charity, love and action. The last, it says, holiness with sobriety. There's a saying, you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. Well, that's what Paul's addressing here. Holiness with sobriety because real holiness brings a temperance. It brings a consistency. It brings a lack of excess in your life that you can pass on to those children as you raise them in the home. We have children today that the only way they can sit in a classroom is by being on medication. That's because nobody took the time to sit down with that child and teach them because I'll tell you what, there's nothing more frustrating than teaching a little child. Amen, ladies? But if you'll have holiness with sobriety and charity and faith, guess what? You'll have what it takes to mold and to shape those little lives. I mean, my Stephen and my, my Philip, they're poster children for Ridland. And if it wasn't for Mama taking a lot of time with them and then calling in reinforcements, Dad, that's where you come in. Says, I can't do it. I've reached my limit. Dad comes up there, things change real quick. Men, that's what you're supposed to do. My children know disobey mom is twice as bad as disobeying dad because dad's going to take care of it when dad finds out. Men, what you're doing is you're allowing your women to be saved, your wife to be saved in childbearing. She can devote her time and her attention doing the things that God has given her to do. Now, we live in an imperfect world, and the only problem with preaching a sermon like this is it just brings up a lot of painful memories and a lot of suffering and a lot of lives that never had the opportunity because they're unsaved or because of other circumstances to do these things. But, you know, we need to take some time and just examine what the Bible says ought to happen in the home. Amen? And ladies, let's pray for the younger ladies. Let's not use ourselves as, as examples. Well, I made it, so it's okay. No, let's help the younger ladies find out that, hey, I made it, but that's not what the Bible says the way it ought to be. Let's, let's pray and let's, you know, uh, let's, let's help the younger ladies find the Bible way of doing things. Amen? Because that's where the answers are. The only way we're going to break the chains of suffering that we have with this generation is to start with the next one. Helping them learn how to live. And I'll tell you, when a child grows up and mama isn't continuing in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety, 
There's a lot of things that get messed up as they get a little older because the guardrails haven't been put in place in their life. Those protections are just not there. And what we have, we have to put this in, this is in the context of a local church. I've had people say over the years, many, many people, well, if I take my kids out of public school, they won't socialize properly. Well, you know something? I don't want my kids socializing properly with what goes on in the public school. I don't want my kids socializing property with, properly uh, with their friends in a, um, uh, I call it an immorality education class. They have another name for it, but where they're teaching you how to be immoral in school and get away with it. I don't want my kids in that class. I don't want my kids hearing other kids talk about it as they go down the hall. I don't want my kids socializing with the best rock group and having their hero be some genetic misfit who knows how to handle a ball better than the rest of the kids in school. I don't want my children's heroes to be that. I want my daughter's heroes. I want them to be their mom, to be grandma, to be people who are living for God. I want my children to learn how to socialize with people who have given their lives to serve God and will tell them, hey, listen, don't live your life the way I live my life. I got saved out of that mess. You live for God, God's way. Amen. We're to use this church to protect and to move our children away from those destructive forces that are in our society and in our culture. Mom, you have the greatest responsibility in the world don't let anyone demean motherhood it is a God given responsibility that only you can fulfill I mean I would do anything to keep my wife from having to go through all that pain and suffering when it comes to childbirth but I can't do that. That's the way God put it together. But I can give her an opportunity to be mom instead of had to be dad light, if you know what I'm talking about. I take care of my responsibilities. It gives her freedom to do hers. And that's what the Bible says. And you know what? You don't get excited and jump up and down when you hear a sermon like that, do you? But if we could just grab a hold of it and start doing it, you know who's going to benefit? Those kids back in the children's church are going to benefit. The little ones in the nursery are going to benefit. And then when they grow up and they start doing right, then... We're the ones that are going to benefit. Amen? I'm not, I'm not dependent upon Social Security for my retirement. I got ten little investments that I hope turn out right. And uh, somebody said, what are you going to do when you retire? Well, I'm just going to get me some kind of travel vehicle, and my wife and I are going to go, and we're going to live off our kids a few weeks or a month at a time. 
and, and we'll just uh, keep making the rounds until we're too old to make the rounds anymore, and then we'll move in with Peter and give him back all the problems he gave me. Amen? That's what raising kids are about. Somebody said, get even. Live long enough to be a problem for your kids, right? No. It says, she shall be saved in childbearing. Ladies, you got the greatest responsibility in the world, and no one can do what mom does except mom. It's just not possible. There are situations where dad is not in the house, mom is not in the house. My dad died when I was 14 years old. There, praise God, there were other men that God brought into my life to stand in that gap that wasn't there. And God will do the same thing the other way around. But let's not worry about what everybody else is doing. This is invitation time. Let's worry about what we're going to do. Mom, if you're not saved, you cannot lead your children to God. They'll see right through you. They know what's important. They know where your heart is. And they will follow what you follow. Mom, if you don't love being a mother, your children won't love being a mother. They won't be able to do those things. Don't, don't make the sacrifice just out of your own goodness. Make the sacrifice because God says so. And there's no greater sacrifice than being a mother. There really isn't. You have to give up everything to take care of those little brats. I mean children. And, uh, but if you take care of them right, then they don't grow up to be big brats. Amen. And you've all seen those big husky football players. I don't know that I've ever heard one of them say, Hi, Dad! Dad, it's me! I made it! It's always, Hi, Mom! Isn't it? Because that football player wouldn't be what he is if it weren't for all the good meals and all the different things that Mom did over the years to take that little five- or eight-pound baby and turn him into a 300-pound linebacker. It just wouldn't happen. Amen? Faith, charity, and holiness with sobriety. You know, there are just some things that you may get away with that your kids will never be able to get away with. Mom, keep it clean for the kids, amen? Protect them. Balance your life with this book called the Bible so that they'll grow up being able to tell the difference between what is righteous and what is wicked. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and we've just covered some ground here that is in your word. Lord, it's hard to get up all excited and jump up and down and holler and all of these things that, at these words that are right here. But, Lord, I, I pray rather than just spewing emotion this morning, we get serious about being obedient to these words. And, Lord, that we would learn to live them. I pray for 
every person here today that they would be willing to trust you as their personal Savior, that they would be willing to be saved. Just simply give their life to you. Lord, we pray for the mothers of young children that are here today, that you would bless them, that you would help them to be willing to take that responsibility to guide the home, to raise these children to continue in faith, in charity and holiness with sobriety. Lord, we pray for the older women here. We pray for those whose lives are have painful memories when it comes to these subjects, that they would be willing to take those things and put them under the blood of your cross. And Lord, that you would give them a heart to, to desire to teach and to train and to help the younger ladies Find the truth that is in your word. That they would be an encouragement to them in the way. Lord, we pray for husbands here today, especially the fathers of, of young children, that they would first give their lives to the Lord through salvation in Jesus Christ. And that they would be that protectorate that you have designed them to be. And they would be willing to allow their wife to be that mother that she ought to be. May mean sacrifice and some earthly possessions and, and working extra hard. Lord, we just pray that you would give these men the willingness to be men, that their wives may be the mothers that you have called them to be. Lord, we pray for other men and other ladies that were not mentioned at this point, that every one of us would just draw closer to your word Give us grace that we may be called your servants. In Jesus' name, amen.